You're listening to Sidious Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. My name is Rick Enlow. I get to be the host, and I'm here with Dave Hillis from Tacoma, Washington, the epicenter of Leadership Foundations. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm good, Rick, and I, I like that, the epicenter. Wonderful. Yeah, and I'm also calling you, uh, just privately, Dave, the narrative magnet attracting ideas to the digital stage. This is my name. I'm just coming up with taglines. <laughs> you know, I did, uh, you know, I, I did, uh, I think also I, I like to call uh, Noah Basket the, uh, our LF broadcast correspondent. He's many times out there in uh, talking like to it. all kinds I of like interesting it. people and bringing them to the airways there. So it's great to have another opportunity. And we are continuing our conversation about traditioned innovation. And I know that uh, for those that may just be joining because um, you, you wandered on to, you know, the one of the great podcasts of all time. No, it's just mm -hmm. it, whatever got you here. Um, we we appreciate your uh, your participation, and uh, we want you to know though that the um, there are local leadership foundations in 45, 46, 47 cities mm -hmm. around the world, mm -hmm. and of course every city being unique. But one of the things I, I noticed about uh, your kind of um, I don't know. Whenever I talk to you about these these uh, local LS, whether it's a uh, Dallas or Delhi, I've copied that from you, Dave. You have great alliteration. What what are what are some of your other city alliterations? You have, you have a uh, yeah, um, Mozambique, Minneapolis. There you go. Uh, there, That's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah. I was hoping there was going to be one in Billings, Bangalore. So <laughs> that's it. Billings and Bangalore. Yeah. Uh, but I stole the Dallas and, and Delhi from you right away. Yeah, there. that's but good. All of these local and international. Um, uh, leadership foundations and these cities, I know that you love um, how innovative they are. And in this traditioned innovation series, uh, talk to me about that. And, and uh, you know, that being kind of a yeah. point of joy. <clears throat> well, you know, maybe to kind of start and say this, uh, which is going to take a little bit of the heroic out of it, but it really was a, a necessity, Rick, for us because we believe deeply that cities are living, breathing organisms, um, mm -hmm. right? So again, if, if you sort of pound down your, you know, theological, you know, pivot foot there, well, then by definition, that means that one size is not going to fit all. Um, right. And so it moved us, I think, quickly, you know, to begin to say, look, uh, you know, innovate or die, um, you know, with regard to leadership foundation work. Mm -hmm. So I think that was the the first kind of move. And I, I, again, tell people all the time, you know, we've got, you know, 188 different initiatives and programs uh, that are being uh, ran by local leadership foundations. And people go, I mean, that's just incredible. It's like, well, mm -hmm. it is for sure. But it's simply because, you know, we're trying to take cities uh, and their uniqueness seriously. So, of course, you're going to create, right, different programs uh, because of that. Yeah. So I think, I think that's one uh, real reason why I think leadership foundations are so innovative. I think the second, interestingly enough, has become um, this kind of understanding that when cities are living, breathing organisms, uh, you then, you know, ask the next question, well, you know, why is that, right? And part of our answer is because the, the Holy Spirit uh, has already, you know, effectively moved into, you know, Delhi or Dallas. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we do our work, um, we're not, quote unquote, 
you know, again, bringing anything new as much as being able to see what the Holy Spirit is already up to uh, and trying to align ourselves, um, you know, with the Spirit's work. Mm -hmm. Well, if you know, again, anything about the Holy Spirit and how she manifests herself in the Scripture, um, you, you know, you, you're overwhelmed, right, at the different ways uh, that the Holy Spirit expresses uh, herself. Mm -hmm. So simply, you know, ironically, uh, to be uh, just imitative of the Holy Spirit uh, is going right. to make you, uh, you know, in effect, uh, innovative moving forward. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that I think is that has increased this, Rick, I think for leadership foundations, you know, and this really gets into the tradition to innovation, um, you know, prior to probably, I don't know, a decade ago, um, you know, we used to kind of laugh uh, that if you saw one leadership foundation, uh, you saw one leadership foundation. In other words, mm -hmm. they were we were so disparate and so different. Um, I mean, we had relationship with one another and all that, but it was other than that, it was the wild, wild west. And we realized that we needed to begin to, you know, um, I think have a more rigorous process. But I think we did something, you know, semi-smart, and that was is that we didn't get prescriptive around a particular program. Uh, what we did do is get prescriptive around a process. Mm -hmm. And that's what people have heard, you know, you and I talk about here on this podcast, our wheel of change, those three functions. So in effect, that has now become the tradition, right, of leadership foundations. You can't right. be a leadership foundation if you're not committed to those three things. But because of that commitment to that tradition, what it has done is unleashed, um, again, this, this Pentecost of, you know, programmatic expression, um, you know, mm -hmm. the, the 188 I just mentioned. And that's, that has been delightful to watch, you know, our, yeah. our, our discipline, our commitment to the wheel of change, which in turn then fuels, you know, innovation after innovation after innovation. So yeah. that's that's a bit of, of LF and, and this innovative spirit that is, uh, is so fun to watch. Yeah, and I think um, that, that reminded me um, when you referenced Pentecost, you know, the idea that uh, you know, traditionally, uh, God had been, you know, one huge fire mm -hmm. that, you know, led one huge group of people. Exactly. And then we see on the day of Pentecost where there was fire on each person. Exactly. You know, and suddenly it was innovated into, you know, all these different spaces. And it's it's a, a wonderful picture of what the Holy Spirit's about. Another thing I think, Dave, is that um, just the idea, if I talk to people about leadership, I just say, hey, uh, let me talk about leadership, right? And I'm mm -hmm. I'm really talking about a leadership foundation model that's, you know, not a personality, but a process mm -hmm. and, you know, like not prescriptive, but it's, you know, it's it's a way of proceeding, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but people often jump to the conclusion that it's, oh, you're just talking about the leadership industry. Right. You know, right. you're just saying you want to extract some, you know, finances from whoever needs leadership by, you know, uh, making sure they have a book or, you know, that, you know, that, you know, you're, you're going to consult them about something or something. And it's always seems to be um, kind of the, the, the assumption is you want something from, oh, I see you want something from me. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I think that's what's so great about LF 
it's not leadership as industry, but leadership as innovation. Mm-hmm. And we maintain the alliteration. Those both start with I. So that, <laughs> that is important. <laughs> no, I, you know, you know what I'm talking about the difference. Yeah, there? yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, in the in the world of economics, you know, they oftentimes talk about economics uh, that is extractive, right? You go into a you know part of the world and you pull out of it its wealth, and you know that's mm-hmm. that's the economic model. And how to try to begin to flip that, right? And instead of having this extractive model, you know, you have one that is is you know adding to the wealth and yeah. and and creating. Well, I think that's exactly what you just said about leadership, and and that's been one of the things that's really hampered cities, um, is that you know we pull leaders out of these very cities that need them, right, to stay put. And so yeah. how, how do you begin to uh, raise up a model, uh, raise up programs that aren't extractive, um, but, you know, actually are, are contributing? And so, you know, something like, you know, way back in the day, you and I have talked about this, but the Act 6, you know, model was, was really yeah. based on that. Uh, yes to the college education. Uh, we thought that was, you know, significant in order, though, for them to come back to the city, uh, like Tacoma, uh, like Portland, like Memphis, uh, and, and have that talent remain. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we've had the opportunity even, uh, in our, um, local church to have some of the act six scholars that have returned come Mm -hmm. and and talk to us. And it's always so great because it's like, I can't, I am teaching in the very elementary school I graduated from, you know, I am, I mean, you know, just, just, they find, they find the place. And so what's so smart about it is that they know the place. Exactly. I mean, like this is their place, you know? And uh, I I remember uh, when you, you know, you first, introduced me, um, to, you know, Ray Bakke and we went up to his house, you know, um, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, the father of Western urban, uh, you know, yeah. ministry kind of. And I remember that you were saying to me, now you've me- never met Ray or whatever, but, um, you know, just, you might want to ask him if you get a chance, like when we're having lunch. Um, so, uh, tell me about Chicago. And so I did it and dude, the guy, you know, I mean, he was retired, but he's still, I mean, yeah. you know, just went off, you know, and you could just tell. Uh, and it's the same thing with anybody. Like I saw, I saw a guy drive uh, in front of me the other day, and he had a um, a sticker on his car that said Chicago Cubs. You know, mm-hmm. and it kind of reminded me of, you know, Ray, hey, the Chicago Cubs. But I, I said to the guy, hey, Cubs fan, huh? And the guy just could. He started telling me all about the Cubs, <laughs> and I just started thinking, you know, this is such an LF expression that you know you. Uh, I mean, I remember asking Larry Lloyd, you know, like when somebody calls and wants to be a leadership foundation city, what do you ask him? And he told me, I asked him, tell me about your city. Like, and I exactly. said, well, why? Because you only love, you know, what you know. That's right. And it was just so great. And I think that is a, literally a traditioned innovation. I mean, that we all know that when you have a tradition in a location, that puts you in a position to innovate, exactly. you know, when you are uh, involved in, as a leader. So. Yeah, no, it's it's uh that's that was beautifully uh, described by you, Rick, and I and I do think you know going back to Larry's comment, um, and I've said this to you before, but but my you know really favorite part of my job almost is to get to a LF city, uh, get picked up at the airport, you know, by the local leadership foundation president, and 
li- listen to them wax poetically um, yeah. about this place. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it takes us forever to get where we got to go because we're always taking a right here or a left here because we got to <laughs> show you this project or right this, you know, uh, initiative or program. But it's, uh, and that's, you know, and this again goes all the way back to, you know, to Chesterton's notion about how does a city grow great? You know, it's because people love it, Um, you know, sort of period, Mm -hmm. end of story. And oh, by the way, you got to raise some money and do some programming, but um, it, it gets great because it's loved, so... Yeah, that's so true. Well, in this particular episode, we'd like to just hear from some local leadership foundation uh, folks and, and mm-hmm. you know, just and, and listen for that, you know, and That's just right. talk about, you know, the, and understand uh, the tradition innovation in their context. So, uh, so we look forward to that. And um, again, you're the narrative magnet. Uh, you and uh, <laughs> you and Noah can attract ideas to the digital stage. And so uh, uh, let's listen to some as we uh, have a chance to, to, uh, to kind of join them. Perfect. Uh, today, we actually have the great pleasure of talking with one of our uh, wonderful innovators, and that's Gideon Ochin. Uh, Gideon is the founder and the president of the Nairobi Leadership Foundation that's actually called the Center for Transforming Mission Kenya. I mean, Gideon and his team, you know, you watch them on the ground, and they're just doing some remarkable things and carrying out the LF vision uh, in Nairobi, again, of seeing a city as God's playground rather than a battleground. Um, a couple of the things that really are worth paying attention to, because I think it's, again, the Holy Spirit in their midst doing this kind of work. Uh, one of them is a basketball court, or actually I should be more honest and say a series of basketball courts uh, through Nairobi's informal settlement. It's actually the largest slum in Africa called Kibra. Uh, they're using sports as a way to really care holistically for young people in all of those neighborhoods. Um, you know, probably, Rick, I'd say, you know, we always believe that the city as playground is this great metaphor. Nairobi's one of those places where they are physically making their uh, slum a playground. And it's remarkable to watch and to see. And so I think our listeners are in for a great treat with Gideon Oching of the Nairobi Leadership Foundation. My name is uh, Gideon Oche uh, Onyango. I am the executive director uh, for Center for Transforming Mission Kenya, um, also known as the Nairobi Leadership Foundation. Uh, so typically under the Leadership Foundation, you would consider me to be, to be the president of the Leadership Nairobi uh, Kenya. And uh, so those are my titles and I've been um, in that position for the past, uh, what, um, probably 10 years or so uh, since we started uh, the Leadership Foundation um, here in in Nairobi. Um, We registered back in uh, 2006, I believe, and got a local registration as a Christian uh, organization um, serving among uh, the marginalized in the city, 
Basically, our organization is supposed to serve the entire city. So that means everybody and anybody living in our city. That's our calling. Um, but we find ourselves um, more uh, drawn to the marginalized communities, and uh, probably they are the ones who identify with what we're doing and uh, have greater need for it. And, and therefore, we have naturally, um, you know, been drawn to them and, and I've been serving them uh, since then. And uh, by serving them, um, we have done uh, several things. Um, for pastors who were our primary, um, you know, entry point to, um, to the informal settlements, uh, we offer trainings in form of uh, intensives that run for a whole year, uh, one day a week. Uh, for the entire year. And uh, while we do that, um, we, we cover various topics that um, basically helps the pastor to be introduced uh, to the work uh, in the urban environment. Most of them are already working there anyways, uh, but either they do not know one another or they have you know, challenges you know, connecting uh, or there are resources that they are lacking and therefore we come in in and then play that role where we connect them to one another. Uh, we introduce them to you know, theological reflection and allow them to also just share from you know, where they, they, they are, you know, what they've learned in life. Um, in, in, and while they do that, they actually sharpen one another. And that is the hope that we have as we serve our pastors. Enter the uh, slum communities, and uh, we got introduced to pastors who have, uh, you know, found their way into the city, and they're leading uh, smaller congregations of 10, 20, you know, at most probably 30 people. And uh, we realized that these uh, leaders are actually called uh, to this uh, space, uh, but some of them would. Uh, probably be uh, those you would typically describe as called, but, uh, you know, still needing some equipping. And so we step into that space and, uh, you know, bring in some training that runs, um, you know, once a week uh, for the entire year. And uh, the aim of that is actually to bring these leaders together so that they can, um, you know, talk to one another, they can form support systems, um, they can sharpen one another when it comes to, you know, theological, um, you know, education. Um, but above all, we can also, you know, all this to, to, to step up to other institutions of higher learning. For instance, if they wanted to apply to a college and that uh, they did not have the um, required qualification, uh, this one-year period actually enables them to bridge that gap. And so while we do that, um, you know, the, the, the leader is actually able to grow. And uh, we do this for, you know, leaders from all the different denominations that um, are there in our city. We don't discriminate as long as you're a leader and uh, you feel called to serve in the urban environment. Um, you're always welcome to be uh, part uh, of our leadership uh, training. Uh, we also, um, as, as an organization, uh, serves young people 
um, and, and, and we will talk a little bit more uh, about this uh, later on. Uh, we serve them through sports and, uh, you know, we do mentorship, um, discipleship and all that uh, through sport um, in one particular community uh, called Kibra. Um, now, back to uh, the city of Nairobi. Um, this city is, it, it, it's quite a huge city. Um, it is uh, big enough uh, probably to be um, one among, you know, those cities that are visible globally. Um, they say that uh, Nairobi has uh, roughly about, um, you know, the greater metropolis, probably 7 million people. Um, they say that uh, by night we have about uh, 3.5 uh, to 3.7 million people. And then during the night, um, you know, uh, during the day, rather, the, the city, uh, you know, has, you know, additional probably 2 million to, to 3 million. So we are looking at anywhere, depending on who you're talking to, a data of about uh, between 5 to 7 million people. And uh, I can... Uh, I can say that, you know, there's, there's, there's some truth and probably a much greater truth to that because walking on the streets of Nairobi, you would see tons and tons of people, uh, you know, literally rubbing shoulders, uh, depending on which part of the city. Some are really, really, um, you know, congested areas. Uh, now, talking about Nairobi, um, we find uh, that about... Um, 20% uh, uh, of the people uh, live uh, on 80% of the land, uh, meaning that they occupy you know, properly uh, designed uh, spaces, uh, you know, they are spacious homes um, and all that. And then we have the remaining, you know, between 70 uh, to 80% of the people living in, uh, you know, highly yeah, populated or densely populated Related areas, which means um, that um, you know, in one given area, you may have thousands uh, of people, uh, you know, calling that their homes. And with that, um, we have seen uh, the rise of uh, informal settlements or the slums. Uh, somebody had it uh, in their data that uh, we probably have about two hundred uh, such uh, pockets. Um, and, and they are densely populated. Um, but these are the people who, um, you know, serve our city. They are the people who work uh, in offices, the industrial areas. They are our guards, uh, bus drivers, gardeners, cooks. Um, they are the ordinary uh, men and women uh, who, um, on whose shoulder uh, this city is uh, resting. And so, um, given that description, um, I've always uh, told people who ask me about my city, especially in the light of, of our faith as, as Christians, that normally tell them that, um, you know, our city basically is supported by some of the people who really are facing, uh, you know, some challenges um, in our city, but yet, you know, have continued to remain faithful. And therefore, you know, on their account, um, you know, this city continues to thrive. And, and I say that because if, um, if, if Kenya, for instance, we have, um, you know, about 
60 to 70 percent Christian population, then it means uh, by by default our cities um, 60 to 70 percent uh, Christians will be those who are found uh, living in this informal settlement, and therefore their prayers and their concern for the city is what um, you know uh, supports our city, and 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 therefore you know I, you know I usually go ahead and say you know that justifies why we need to give more attention um, you know in serving the people in this uh, informal settlement and by extension actually you know seek to improve their conditions and to transform those spaces so that it can be a city that is welcoming and uh, really supporting life as it should be. So the impact of COVID-19 um, in our city uh, has been great. Um, and uh, we probably do not know how, how extensive that has been um, because we are still dealing with, uh, with COVID-19. Um, so at some point we'll be able to enumerate, you know, how, you know, how, how that has impacted our city. But uh, from our standpoint of uh you know our work standpoint uh, the the impact has been um has been huge um and 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 huge in the sense that um people's livelihood uh have been uh, affected greatly um so for people who are dependent on you know working uh that has meant that some of them you know had to move from the city or downsize um, you know, from where they're living to some, you know, not so great places. Uh, schools were closed, um, you know, businesses were affected, churches, uh, some still remain closed, um, but during, at, at the heart of it, you know, churches, schools, you know, workplaces, um, all the government facilities, everything was impacted um, except for uh, the essential services. And while that was happening, uh, that meant that, um, you know, people had to deal with the issues of, uh, you know, hunger, you know, some other diseases that were already uh, impacting people, like HIV and AIDS in some places, for instance, um, were, you know, negatively impacted because then there's so much uh, focus uh, on mitigating um, uh, the, on the impact of COVID-19, that you know certain things, uh, gains that have been well, had been made on malaria and TB and all these things, uh, were losing ground simply because of you know refocus uh, that happened then. Um, but on 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 a separate mo uh, note, I would say uh, that we've also experienced um, you know God's grace, and by this. I mean, you know, talking about 80% uh, or thereabouts of people living in this, you know, highly dense, uh, high, densely populated areas, yet um, we did not see, you know, huge number of deaths um, uh, occurring in these places. So God in that way was very, very gracious uh, to our city. Uh, we managed to, uh, you know, go through some of the most difficult phases um, without experiencing, you know, those massive deaths. And, and so for that, we are truly, truly grateful. And we had, uh, you know, 
to look for alternative ways of reaching out and serving uh, the, the community members. And, and so this led us to, you know, as an organization, uh, joining hands with uh, about 20 other organizations, including uh, the local government, uh, to provide services uh, for the people. And uh, the services that we, uh, we, we came down to providing included um, one, uh, you know, the, you know, just simple, you know, washing of hands, um, uh, equipment. Um, we partnered with the local uh, Ministry of Health um, to make sure that uh, the health workers were, um, you know, supported to do their work, uh, to manage the quarantine facilities. Uh, we provided, you know, vehicles so that they could be able to, you know, shuttle in between, you know, picking up a patient and taking them for testing um, and, and into the quarantine facilities. We organized uh, together with other organizations to feed at least 2,000 vulnerable uh, members of the communities. Um, we also uh, were able to just provide the platform where, you know, different organizations would come together and meet on a regular basis to update one another on what's going on, uh, to strategize and to re-strategize. Uh, so that, um, you know, the, the impact, um, you know, could be reduced as much as possible. And, and so we saw um, innovation, you know, just, you know, showing up uh, in this space where everybody said, well, we can't do it alone. Uh, we need each other. And so at some point, it was just beautiful to watch, you know, different organizations who would normally be rivalistic, um, you know, drop all these rivalries and, you know, look at the community as, as, as one unit and, and respond in such a beautiful way. So the impact um, has been great, but uh, therein we've also found, uh, you know, a new lease of life uh, on how to work together and how to serve uh, the city um, as organizations, both Christians, non-Christians, you know, government, uh, all of us, you know, coming together to serve the community. So it's really been, um, you know, both negative in the sense of, you know, the, the way uh, the disease, you know, swept through, uh, though not so uh, badly, but, you know, on the other side, how we got together um, and, 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 and responded uh, to it. And we continue to do that. So if there's anything... Uh, that we can celebrate after COVID-19 is the unity that uh, it brought us. So what have we been up to as a uh, Center for Transforming Mission, uh, Kenya uh, innovation-wise? Um, well, we have, um, as an organization, uh, embarked on um, one of the journeys uh, to serve um, the, the young population or the youth um, in, in, in the city of Nairobi. Uh, we kind of stumbled into this, um, uh, you know, a couple of years ago um, when we ran into a partner who was very interested in uh, basketball um, as, as a sport. And, and so uh, the conversation that we had uh, with them uh, led to a visit um, to one of the communities here in Nairobi called Kibra, uh, where we met uh, with um, a very, very supportive leader, um, the late uh, 
Kenneth Okoth, uh, who, is, who was the member of parliament uh, representing Kibra constituency uh, at the National Assembly. Um, so through that connection, we um, mapped out a strategy uh, to come up with the basketball courts. Um, there are public schools, around 16 of them, uh, in this particular community. And uh, given the dense population, um, all the public spaces are actually um, not available except for schools. And therefore, we settled um, for these schools to be the places where we would build uh, the basketball courts. And so we mapped out 16 of them. And uh, we started um, this process uh, of just uh, constructing the, the courts. But the journey is still on course. And uh, we, we hope to, to realize this dream um, at some point, you know, to construct all the, the 16 courts. Anyways, around um, the courts, we have found out that, um, you know, innovation is possible. So uh, beyond the courts, um, we figured out with the Leadership Foundation and the Global Youth Initiative that it was important um, really to come up with, uh, you know, some form of a structure. And uh, this structure meant that we would have mentors, we would have coaches, we would have the students themselves, we'd have the community around it. So those both parents and the teachers and, uh, you know, find a way that, um, you know, the courts then would be used uh, to help our young uh, men and women uh, to thrive, you know, both academically and socially, and probably later on in life, you know, all-rounded student who is able to make something uh, out of their life. So um, to begin with, uh, we went and we identified the first um, you know, two schools that we had uh, constructed the basketball courts and we recruited, uh, you know, several girls uh, to be uh, part of the initial team. Um, and so while we were doing this, our aim really was not uh, so much to get into, uh, to get these girls to compete uh, and all that. But uh, with structured sports, uh, there's no way that uh, we could uh, avoid this. So uh, the coaches went in, they were very, very excited to take up the opportunity on brand new courts. Uh, the mentors went in, uh, a team was selected uh, from kids who had previously no experience of playing basketball. And believe me, um, that within the first season of, you know, entering into, you know, the uh, the, the, the local um, league, uh, these kids were topping up. Uh, they were number one, number two, um, and, and they were ready to actually represent uh, the city of Nairobi at, at the regional, uh, rather the national, um, you know, competition. Um, so that was year one. Um, then year two, um, these two teams, again, were assured of, you know, making it uh, to the top, to the finals of a national competition. But then COVID happened and, uh, you know, that had to be stopped, um, you know, when, when the government put restrictions on, uh, on gathering and sports and all that. And so the team um, did not uh, proceed uh, just as everybody else were, you know, kept from uh, playing uh, to the nationals. 
But, um, you know, with the resumption of sports uh, a few days ago, we hope that uh, these two teams will actually make it um, to, um, to the nationals and represent uh, probably this great city. Uh, so that is just one of the ways that uh, we've been able to use innovation um, to serve the communities. But also around this particular um, uh, sports and, you know, the construction of basketball courts and the mentorship programs, we'll be able to bring together, uh, you know, several churches, several organizations, the government itself through the Ministry of Education. We have uh, the corporates, uh, you know, coming in, um, you know, to use the facility, but also, you know, looking at sponsoring uh, the teams that, um, that, that, that are playing in this particular league from Kibra. Um, but the other thing that, uh, the greatest thing that is happening uh, through this court is that we are able to get people from outside Kibera, you know, I would say the people are working in the corporates, um, you know, those who are coming from the affluent communities into Kibra. Uh, to be able to see the way people live, to be able to interact with the challenges of the community. Um, but we're also able to get kids uh, from Kibra into uh, these other spaces. And therefore, we are seeing an ongoing conversation uh, that is non-threatening to you know, people from both ends uh, happening right in front of us um, in, in this field, you know, through, through sport. And so, um, we are truly grateful. Uh, probably we did not anticipate this happening, but it's some a beautiful thing to actually witness happening right in front of us where great, great conversations um, are happening in the court. And uh, it's happening because, you know, everybody loves sports and uh, there's a universal language around sports that, uh, you know, anybody and everybody can understand. The challenges that um, a young person um, living in Kibra uh, would face are numerous, um, but there are also uh, a number of, of opportunities um, in the same space. So uh, I will probably begin with the challenges that uh, a young person uh, would say and would, would face. Uh, so growing up in, in, in a place like Kibra, um, First of all, given the huge um, you know, number of people, or the large number of people staying in this place, it means that their quarters, their living quarters are really, really small. So uh, if you're staying in this place and you have to go to school, uh, you have to contend with that uh, small space. So, you know, study areas in the late uh, evening um, would be compromised um, either because of the noise coming from the neighborhood uh, or, you know, sharing that space um, with other siblings and, and parents. Yeah, that just makes it, uh, you know, kind of difficult uh, for a young uh, person to stay in this, um, you know, environment. The other one is that, um, you know, probably there's uh, greater chances that uh, there would be, you know, peer pressure, both negative and positive, um, you know, coming from uh, from these places. Um, that environment has a lot of people with uh, different backgrounds. 
um, to begin with, not all kids um, probably living in Kibra have their parents uh, present, um, you know, or taking care of them. Uh, we have one school that we're working with, uh, which, you know, told us that they have, you know, several kids who are literally the head of their family. So it means that this child would come to school uh, in the morning and uh, later on in the evening, they would go back home um, to go do some business uh, so that they can feed their siblings. And this is either as a result of them losing their parents, um, either to accident or something, you know, they are orphaned and therefore they have to survive in the city in that manner. And, and with that, uh, you know, comes, uh, you know, other challenges, you know, if somebody probably is not uh, well taken care of, uh, they are exposed to all manner of things, you know, abuses uh, can happen in, in, in such places. Um, and this extends to, you know, all kids. So the risk uh, that, um, that, 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 that kids have, uh, you know, growing up in the, in the slum communities uh, is high. And that lately, because of the lockdowns, for instance, uh, one of the things that we've realized is that, you know, we have young people either joining, you know, wrong company or involved in drugs and, and, and things like that. But then this also comes with opportunity. They, a, a child growing up in Kibra is, they are forced to actually mature very, very fast in terms of, you know, innovation to stay alive. You know, you find young people as, a, as, as young as 16, uh, basically living on their own, you know, making choices that are, 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 are helping them to, to hack it in life. Um, they learn from a very young age, you know, to be aware of people who uh, may not mean well for them. Uh, you know, their social skills are, you know, very, very sharp, you know, very sharp. So, you know, given all that is going on around them, uh, I would say, you know, there are disadvantages of staying in these places, but how the young people have turned around, a majority of them and utilize this uh, to their advantage, it is great. It's, it's wonderful to see how, um, how some of the most difficult circumstances have been overcome uh, by, by innovative, um, you know, practices by some of, of our young people. So um, I look at that and I really, really marvel at, at, at what's going on. So there's so much to learn uh, from the young people in, in places like Kibra. In, in our context, how how has uh, you know trust building uh, you know between the mentors and and those being mentored uh, worked out? Um, again, this is one of those areas that we have um, you know applied uh, innovation. Um, so the mentors who come into a program are are young people, um, and I'm, and I'm gonna take an example of one particular school, this Israel Education Center, um, uh, whose mentors actually come from a local university uh, called uh, Strathmore University. Um, what we did is that uh, we went into um, the college and uh, met with their, um, their sports department and uh, sought to pair, um, you know, the girls um, 
who are taking part in basketball with the girls uh, from uh, these particular schools uh, who are also taking part in basketball. So as you can see, two things are happening here. Uh, one is that um, we were able to recruit girls who are slightly older uh, than the ones um, you know that they'll be mentoring. And then two, uh, they are coming from from college, and and so by having them come into the slum community to mentor this other one, um, the kids are actually looking up to them, and you know all of a sudden they are seeing all manner of possibilities. If somebody made it to the university and and is playing basketball, then all of a sudden uh, it encourages them to work hard and and to get to that uh, same level. The other thing that it does is that it just breaks the barrier between, um, you know, kids from the mainstream society and those from the slums, because now they start, uh, you know, to speak to one another, um, you know, whereby they build trust, um, you know, they seek to understand one another, clarify some of the misunderstandings they've had in the past, uh, you know, empathy and all this is built uh, through the interaction. And as they do this, um, I think a lot of barriers uh, just fall. And uh, through that, we've seen, um, you know, great, great strides in terms of, um, you know, performance um, among the girls. Uh, but one of the notable um, impacts that we've had uh, in the past couple of years is, you know, just the drop in the number of pregnancies among the, the, the young people, you know, attending this particular school. Um, you know, it, it used to be that, you know, several of them would not finish school, they would not finish high school um, because, you know, they fell pregnant at, at one point. Um, but, you know, we have seen um, a great reduction in number of kids uh, who, who got pregnant just because they were part of the sports team. So the, the emergence of leaders, um, so if you were to ask me, you know, what have we seen uh, in terms of leadership development around this program? There is um, this young man uh, called Dennis, um, who is the head coach. Uh, so he's actually in, in, in charge of all the co coaches who work with the Highway Pop, which is the name of the program. Um, Dennis is, is passionate about, uh, about mentorship and uh, in particular um, coaching. Uh, he is a kind of coach who, who is also a mentor and a friend um, to, to many, many of the kids uh, that, that, that he serves. He both recruits um, and, and, and work with, uh, with, with fellow coaches as they do their work. Um, he understands this to be a journey, uh, which can only be won uh, by working together. And therefore, he um, he's challenged other coaches in the community to actually work together uh, to to nurture the sport and, and and to take care of the kids, regardless of you know which school they they are from. As long as they're from Kibra, um, you know, Dennis is actually committed to uh, to, to to serving them and to supporting them to realize their dream. Um, but he goes beyond that. I think one of the things that uh, he is known for 
is uh, his habit of actually offering advice and uh, support to even opposing teams. So wherever he goes out and uh, he sees, you know, probably a coach uh, making a mistake or a team, he would easily cross over and, uh, and, you know, offer them advice. In a way, it's like, you know, talking to your enemy, but that's his gift. He loves to see every child uh, flourish. And, and so if there's anything to fault Dennis for, is his love for the sports and his love for the ch- children um, that um, he has extended beyond Kibra itself. Um, he has been noticed um, at the national level. And from time to time, um, you know, I understand that uh, there are the people who have come in uh, from the national team and, uh, you know, and is currently being considered to, to join in the technical bench uh, for the junior team. Uh, at the national level, again, these are the these are the kinds uh, of leaders um, that we uh, that 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 we have, uh, you know, serving um, you know our kids. Uh, but be beyond um, beyond Dennis, we have a fine young lady called Emma, and Emma is the head of of our mentorship uh, program, uh, actually in charge of the mentors. Um, she graduated from uh, Strathmore University, uh, but continues to work with them. Uh, she continues to recruit, um, you know, mentors from these local universities and bring them into Kibra uh, so that they can interact with our boys and girls um, and sharpen both their skills, but also get them to, you know, talk to one another as peers uh, with the hope that they can glean one or two, um, you know, wisdom that would help them later on in life. So we have, you know, and I can go on and on about the different leaders that we have, but these two uh, leaders are outstanding uh, in the way that uh, they continue to deliver service uh, to our young people in the community. So where do I see or find hope uh, in our city today? So um, following the different programs that I've described um, as the ones that we do, one, particular um, program that stands out is um, the Highway of Hope, you know, where we have the uh, basketball program. Um, There I see a lot of hope uh, because through such uh, programs, uh, we are able to raise uh, future leaders. Um, We are seeing many young people who are taking up a leadership role in the city through such initiatives. Uh, we're also seeing peace, uh, peace building that is going on um, across our city. Um, we, as an organization, continues to um, to set tables across the city that uh, enables tribes, denomination, religious groups, uh, even uh, you know different uh, racial groups to sit together. And, uh, and and you know just think about our city, talk about it, uh, you know celebrate. Um, it or you know just come together in solidarity whenever there are um, you know calamities in our city. Uh, so we continue to do that, and as we do this, and I see people respond, um, I, I see this really as a, as a as a place of great hope uh, for my city. So as long as we keep on talking to one another, um, you know, hope remains and it remains alive.
Wow, it's really great to hear from Gideon and the work he and the rest of the team are doing at the Nairobi Leadership Foundation, always an inspiration. And uh, in closing, uh, as is our routine, we wanted to uh, close out this episode with a recommendation on seeing the city as a playground. And Gideon was kind enough to give us a recommendation this week. So take it away, Gideon. Again, go back to what is happening uh, to my city um, and how we've been able to do this. Uh, the different denomination, different tribes, different religious groups, um, you know, just joining hands to serve our city, beginning with direct service, uh, but, you know, descending into conversations around uh, peace building. You know, that is a true picture of a playground for me, um, a kind that only God can play host. Uh, the diversity in any given city calls uh, all of us to dive in and enjoy that kind of space, uh, to hold on to, you know, our little spaces is equivalent to choosing to watch, um, you know, from the sidelines, you know, as, as, as other as enjoy this beautiful space. Um, one of the, you know, probably quotes that I, that I like, um, you know, I, I find in uh, the book called Geography of Grace uh, by uh, Chris Rock and uh, Joel Van Dyke. Uh, it says that, uh, you know, embraced by God, we are invited to join in. But the Holy Spirit initiates and choreographs this dance of life. At first, we are simply marveling as spectators. But the wonder of it all is that the Spirit comes to the edge of the dance floor, extends a hand of invitation, and graciously leads us to join the dance. This is, um, <laughs> this is what uh, Chris and, and, and Van Dyke says. Um, and I believe that this same invitation um, is, is extended to each one of us who is living in the city. The invitation is there, come out, join the others, dance with them, play with them, um, see what can be done together, see where you can cry together, see where you can rejoice together. Um, the call is there to come in, jump in, join in. Uh, and as we do so, uh, we will experience the city as a beautiful playground where everyone is welcome and anyone um, can actually call it home. So that for me is, you know, where I draw my inspiration um, from, you know, just observing and just jumping in. You know, whenever there's an invitation, I take it. Um, currently, as, 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 as a resident of my city, I join you know, others, um, you know, in cycling events. So every week um, we get out um, as, as uh, members of the community and we cycle. Um, and as we do so, we're able to see different parts of our city. We're able to learn, we're able to get into great conversations about, you know, how we can improve things um, and how we can make this a city a better place for all of us. <music>